We are, uh, we're starting this series in the book of Daniel, which I'm, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Daniel is this, this ancient book that is just rich in, in truth uh, for us today. Um, I've been thinking about this, and I'll talk about it here in a little bit. I've been thinking about this pretty seriously for the last year or so and looking forward to preaching it, beginning to preach it in the beginning of 2023. So here we go. I want to I just put forward a question right out of the gates. Why is Daniel, why is this ancient book in our Bibles? That's really a question that we should be asking anytime we come to the Scriptures, anytime we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. Why is this, or anytime we find ourselves in any book of the Bible, rather, why is this book in the Bible? What part does it play in the story of humanity, the story of God and what he is doing in his world? And I think that Daniel helps us to see in 2023 that every single kingdom of this world will pass away. Every kingdom will pass away. And Daniel, God uses Daniel to loosen our grip on our worldly kingdoms and to tighten our grip around our identity in his kingdom with him as king. And God's plan, if you've been following him for even a day, God's plan is often hard to understand. Often when it is, we're find ourselves, when we find ourselves living in it in, in real time, we're wondering, what are you up to, Lord? We've got all the pressures coming at us. We feel like we have to make decisions. We don't want disappoint him. We don't want to disappoint others. We don't want to do things that are bad or harmful to us. And so we wrestle with understanding and discerning what is God's plan? What is his will? So Daniel, one of the benefits of Daniel is Daniel helps us to learn how as followers of Jesus, followers of God, he helps us to know how to scan the world around us, the events around us, scanning for the hand of God at work, which seems so invisible to us at times. If you've lived with him or tried to follow God for any amount of time, his hand can oftentimes feel invisible to you. And in the same way that our eyes can adjust in environments, in dark environments with low levels of light, so too our spiritual eyes can adjust and learn to see God at work where it's not blatant, where it's not obvious to us. When it's hard to see God at work, we've, we've, we've spent some time thinking about this in Psalm 23 over the last three weeks. When it's hard to see God at work, it's hard to believe that he is at work. It's uh, very tempting for us to, to just think that he has left us alone, that he's off doing something else, or that he does not care or is not concerned with our actual needs. The world is dark. The world that we live in is dark, and Daniel teaches us that God is working at all times. So why then is Daniel in our Bibles? To show us that God is ever-present and that he's working in the circumstances, which would include the challenges and the troubles and the suffering of his people. Daniel is in the Bible, as we saw on the introductory video uh, beforehand, to give us hope. God has given us Daniel to give his people hope, to show us that light really does shine in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. Now, why do we need Daniel at all of life? Daniel is a case study on the faithfulness of God to a people who have lost everything. They've lost their temple, which is the center of their worship. 
They have lost their people. They have lost their leaders. They have lost their homes. They have lost their land. Every tradition that Israel holds dear is destroyed or stripped or desecrated. They're in a bad spot. And when the bottom falls out for the people of Israel, the people of Judah, all they had was God. And so we need to see too that whenever hardship comes, God does not lose even one of his people. Christian, that means you. God will not, he does not lose you. He is at work in all times and in all ways, even though we don't necessarily see him working. So uh, some why behind our series in Daniel. I think that, that, that studying Daniel can help us deepen our allegiances to him and think more Christianly in America as Americans, if you are, in 2023, it doesn't matter where you're from, the book of Daniel can help you think more Christianly in 2023. So this is a series that I'm praying that God will use to help us deepen our allegiance to him. <clears throat> and man, one, a, a prime motivator that, that put Daniel kind of on my, um, on my radar in early last year in 21 was how, how Daniel is so helpful if we're looking at it intently and helping us to get in, fr- in front of and to navigate what is sure to be a troubling political season. Why are you preaching it in 23? It's not even 24 yet. Well, 16 was a disaster, 20 was a disaster, and 24 is likely to be a disaster. And as these, as these political pressures mount for us to give our allegiance to these various ideologies, it's actually going to come quicker than we expect. And I want to, as a, as a pastor, I want to help us to get in front of what is coming and who is asking for your vote and asking for your voice and asking for your allegiance. I want us to refuse to compromise our integrity as this new religion, political power, and social power pressure us to bow our knees to their ideologies. We're already swimming in this. You already have some of your views. I want you to, full disclosure here, just in an effort to be clear, I I want to be as clear as I possibly can. I want you to know something on the front end, all of life, and if you're visiting with us. if, If there is opportunity, where there is opportunity from this text, I am not going to coddle those on the political right. In a red state like Idaho, I've grown up here, almost 45 years here. I know what our flavor is, and I know what it's becoming, and it is changing, and that's unfortunate. But I am, uh, it can be very easy in a red state like Idaho to coddle those on the political right while I punch left. It can be real easy to do that. If you're in a more liberal city, it can be far more easy to punch right and to coddle left. But by God's grace, I'm going to do both. I'm actually going to punch left and punch right by God's grace. I'm going to, full disclosure, I'm going to live into courage, and it does require that. I want to live into faithfulness to the gospel, and I want to ask you to count the cost of following Jesus. I want to add, I want, that's all of our work. Count the cost. What does it look like for me to follow Jesus? And I am willing to lose some of you who I love. 
I'm willing to rattle you. I and your elders care more about your allegiance to King Jesus than we do your political sentiments, your allegiances, and your worldly ideologies. We care more about those things. Jonathan Dodson, a pastor in Texas, he says, in culturally polarizing times, it can be tempting to find comfort in a partisan Christ who will place a halo over our politics. But the biblical Jesus calls us to renounce the world and follow him to allow the gospel to lead us. I believe that this surge of nationalism that cloaks itself in Christian language is as dangerous as the new wokeism. One is a wolf and the other is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Both are wolves. One disregards the gospel, the other pollutes the gospel and diminishes the gospel. And the Apostle Paul's words, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So I want to ask this of you, all of life and those who are gathering with us, please prepare to feel the sting of a stiff thumb between the ribs. If you haven't had that, you know you want to get away from it instantly. And I think that the Spirit of God has some things that He wants to say to us on both sides of the aisle. He wants to to speak clearly to His church. There are times when we have to be willing to, if we are going to live into our sanctification, we have to be willing to hear hard words, and we have to be willing to sit long enough to consider them before God. Now, through our time in Daniel, uh, this, I think, will really shape how we show up in life. Through your time in Daniel, I want you to please pay special attention to the conduct of Daniel and his friends in beastly Babylon. Pay special attention to the way that they show up to the people who are in power over them. I want you to ask, like, what do I see here in the text? How are they interacting with this beastly kingdom? How are they interacting with Babylon's leaders? Is this weakness on their part, or is it strength? I think that how we answer this question will shape how we carry ourselves here, how we carry ourselves in Idaho or wherever it is that we live in the coming years. And so here is the big idea of today's sermon. And this is really the big idea of Daniel. You've already seen it on the screen. God is ever-present, rewarding faithfulness and working through the circumstances, the challenges, the troubles, and the suffering of his people. Pray with me, would you? Father, we, uh, I can sense it already. Uh, we're being pressed. Would you speak? Would you, would you cut through um, the noise of all of the different avenues of information and belief and ideology that are coming to us, would you help to settle us? Would you help us to resolve to commit ourselves to what is true? Would you help us to resolve to commit ourselves to being students of the Scriptures, to counting the cost early on what it means to stay faithful to Jesus and to display the fruit of the Spirit in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, wherever we find ourselves, would we resolve to commit ourselves to you and to your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.
We have, if you did not get one, we have some scripture journals uh, near the door on a little table there. Dave Nunez is in the back. He's got a handful in his hands. He's got some pens in his, in his hand too, if you want one of those. These are, these are scripture journals with the pages, uh, the words of Daniel on the left-hand page and then lined pages on the right for you to just take notes. If you would like one of those, would you just put up a hand and, and he will just be kind of delivering them. Matt has some right here too. Um, he's in the middle. If you want one, just put up your hand and he'll come around and he will give you one of those. This is our gift to you, no strings attached. If you've got one of those, if you've got your Bible, if you want to fire up the, uh, the Bible app on your phone, do that. Go to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read the entire text this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Look at this. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. These are the, the, the holy um, artifacts in the temple. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar. Pay attention to that word. That goes back to Genesis chapter, chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, to the temple of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Those are the, Babylon, the people who occupy Babylon. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king and to serve him. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Notice what tribe they're from, the same tribe that the line of Jesus would come from, or that Jesus uh, came from. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So they're getting new names here, Babylonian names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But, but Daniel resolved, he decided that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, this is someone different, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearances of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he, this steward, listened to them. The order flips here. He's listening to them in this matter. And he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Notice that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is God's word. Did you get all of it? There's a lot here. I just want to say right on the front end, uh, you have these scripture journals. You hopefully have good commentaries, some other teachers that you listen to. I'm not going to hit everything. I'm not going to be able to cover everything. But if you've got questions, dig in. It's on you to learn and to chase down truth. And I'm going to try to show you what I can in Daniel chapter 1 this morning. I've got three points just up out of the text, and I, I want to just lay them before you. You don't need to write them down. Uh, they'll, be on the, they'll be on the screen, and they'll, they'll come forward on the screen. Number one, God does doesn't lose even when it looks like he has. God doesn't lose even when it looks like he has. The second point is these guys are in Babylon but not of Babylon. So what does it look like us for us to be in Babylon but not of Babylon, in the world but not of the world? And then the last point is that uh, God rewards faithfulness sometimes in this life but always in the life to come. God rewards faithfulness sometimes in this life and always in the life to come. Point number one, God does not lose even when it looks like he has. Does anybody know where Babylon is today? Where are they? Where's their government? Where are their kings? Where are their people? We don't know. Where's Israel today? Oh, curious. God doesn't lose even when it looks like he has, and it certainly looked like he had lost at the time of Daniel in the 6th century BC. Like I said earlier, God's will, God's plan can often be hard to figure out, especially when it's playing out for us in real time, right? When the pressures are coming at us and, and we feel the crunch, we need to make a decision. As a pastor, I, I often hear from many of you who are navigating, trying to discern the will of God in tough circumstances, challenging circumstances. And um, throughout biblical history, God gives his chosen people, he gives Israel directives, he gives Israel a law on how they are to live, showing them and shaping how they are to live. And this law also, it, it describes things or prescribes things that they ought to be about, but it also prescribes things that they're not to be about, things they're not to do. At the time of Daniel in 6th century BC, this kingdom of Judah and many kings before the king who's on the throne at this point, they had repeatedly rejected God's law and they were suffering the consequences of his warnings and of his judgment. And he had been exceedingly patient. We'll see that in a little bit. You can read about these events in narrative that fills in a lot more than just what's here in Daniel. If you go to 2 Kings, it, this, these events occur in about chapters 20 through 25 through the end of the book. So I'd encourage you to just write that down. Go and read the narrative about what's going on in 2 Kings 20 through 25. Here's a little excerpt out of 2 Kings 24, 19 and 20. One of the kings, Zedekiah, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. We read Jehoiakim's name in Daniel chapter 1. Because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and in Judah that he, God, finally banished them from his presence. 
uh-oh, something's coming. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. This Judah king, he rebels against Babylon, and there's a big uh-oh that occurs in this moment. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he gets all of his armies, and they march on Jerusalem. They march into Israel. They surround uh, Jerusalem, and they besiege it, for historians believe, somewhere between 18 and 30 months. It's a subst- they surround the city. They cut off all of the supply lines. Um, they are surrounded and being besieged. And so factions are, um, they're, they're, they're trying to escape the city. People are killing themselves. Uh, Second Kings will actually say that about the fourth month in of this, um, this all-out war surrounding the city that they ran out of food. The people in Jerusalem ran out of food. Babylon would eventually destroy this temple. They would break down and burn the walls of the city. They would kill thousands upon thousands of people. They'd eventually, some, some way in, they, the, the, Israelite, the, the people in Judah, in Jerusalem here, they would even cannibalize the dead, their own dead. These ancient cultures were brutal. No negotiations. It's all or nothing. The Babylonians, as they destroyed Jerusalem, they carried off approximately 10,000 Israelites, consisting of their officials, their mighty men of valor, so their warriors, their their nobles, their officials. The language in Daniel here, um, in verse 3, the royal family, if you look at the footnote in your Bible, these are like seeds of the kingdom. These are are people who um, Jesus would eventually come through, his direct ancestors. They carried off into Babylon. Um, the dis- the modern, uh, modern day Iraq is where a, a town called Hilla is where um, Babylon and the Tower of Babel, this plain of Shinar, um, is to this day. And it's about 550 miles from Jerusalem. So they carted this caravan of 10,000 prisoners about 550 miles by foot into modern day Iraq. I imagine that Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to think, like, this is all my idea. Look what I've done. Glory be to the king. But in verse 2, a different theme emerges for us. Look at verse 2 in Daniel chapter 1. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. There's something going on here. There God is. He's present in the circumstances, the troubles, and the suffering of his people, even in Babylon. He's judging Judah, but he is there with him. As their temple was destroyed, as this temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, uh, they're, they're, they're all of their worship oriented around the temple. And so I can imagine that these Israelites were going, what, where, how are we going to see, how are we going to worship God at this point? We do not have our temple. We do not have our law. We're slaves in a kingdom 600 miles away. How in the world are we going to worship God? But God was there. We see in the opening pages of Daniel all the way. 
Way before Daniel even, for centuries, God warned Israel about what would happen if they rejected his rule. And so we see in this long history of God's warnings to Judah that God has been very communicative, very near, very eager to give them pardon, to restore them. He's been faithful to Judah through his warnings. He's saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But Judah proudly disregards their God. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 20, 150 years before what's going on in present day in Daniel chapter 1, Isaiah um, actually goes and rebukes the current king, a guy named uh, Hezekiah of Judah, for showing the Babylonians the whole city and everything in the treasury. Ambassadors from Babylon come up to Jerusalem. Hezekiah wants to accommodate them and, and make peace, and so he brings them into the city and he shows them everything. He even, show, he even takes them into Israel's treasury and shows them all of Israel's wealth. So essentially, ambassadors from Babylon now just know how wealthy Israel is and what's that going to do to a human heart that is greedy for conquest and for riches and wealth. Isaiah finds this out and he comes to Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this. He says in 2 Kings 20, he says, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who will come from you, Hezekiah, whom you will father shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This occurred about 150 years before Daniel. So God has been speaking. He has been warning. He has been being with Israel with incredible patience. And a commentator in the scriptures, a guy named Dale Davies, he, he notes that God's presence with Judah, his presence with Daniel and the exiles is surprisingly patient. God has been surprisingly patient with them. The idea that a foreign nation could, could invade and could plunder Judah and carry off the holy instruments of the temple of their God implied that not only had the Hebrews been beaten, but their God had been beaten as well. See, the Israelites, the people from Judah, they are identified with Yahweh and Yahweh is identified with them. Dale Davies goes on, he writes, that Judah's king and temple vessels were taken simply meant that the Lord was not able to protect them. If the people were losers, it meant that God was a loser. Much like the Olympics, if an athlete representing a nation loses in an event, we may say that his or her nation lost, Kenya lost, Germany lost, the USA lost. There's that identification here. And so for the Hebrews to be handed over to Babylon that, that Daniel's God was weak and powerless in comparison to the gods of Babylon. And this was a humiliation for God among the surrounding nations. This is a humiliation for the Israelites as well. We're going to see next week in chapter 2 the silence of the Babylonian gods compared to the speaking and the power and the movement of Israel's God. We're going to see that next week. But from Daniel's point in chapter 1 and from our vantage point on this side of history, we see something in the text. We see, and God gave. You see it there in verse 2. You see it again in verse 9. You see it again in verse 17. God is working. So though the Hebrews can't see any good in their present circumstances, God is at work because human history, the entire cosmos is here, is his, and he does not abandon his purposes. And God does not abandon his people either. 
if we can get this into, into us, if we can work this into our mindsets, into our heart sets, it can really change how you and I show up. Though these Daniel and his friends were only teens, Daniel and the gang, they, they seem to live from this identity that was secure well before Babylon tried to impose a new identity on them. The partisan sides in America's culture wars are competing for your allegiance. You know this, right? Both sides competing for your allegiance, calling for you to bow down to them, to their causes, to what they're about. And they are promising you an identity if you do. If you do, you'll be on the right side of history. So what you need to do is you need to cut off those who are opposite than you, who are different than you, You need to cancel them. You need to hate them. You need to demonize them. You need to villainize them. Even if their family, even if their friends have nothing to do with them, they are toxic to our cause. I want us to take note of how these teenage boys with identities secured by Yahweh relate to the very people who stole everything from them and even stole them. We've got to notice this. It is profound. See, these, these guys, they are in Babylon, but they are not of Babylon. Though we live in a Babylon ourselves, we don't have to live as if we are of Babylon. Yes, we are citizens of the United States, but our citizenship in the kingdom of God supersedes every allegiance that we have. Like Daniel and the gang, we can live here, we can do good here, we can work here, we can serve our nation, we can vote our causes, but ultimately our citizenship here should not cause us to act contrary to the values of God's kingdom. We must be people who are faithful and it, to him, and it will require us courage. These, these guys, if you notice, they were educated, re-educated for three years. And at the end of their re-education, they would have to stand before their, this enemy king and serve him and serve his kingdom. They would live in his palace, be served his food, be told what to do by him, be given shelter and clothing and skill and everything at his request. And it is profound to note, especially how Daniel speaks to Nebuchadnezzar. He cares for him. It is wild. It is contrary to what's in me. It, is, it seems completely supernatural. It seems as if Daniel was filled with the love of God that could love enemies at great cost to him. Daniel could lean in and he could love his enemies in a way that was profound. And we read his words today. Verse 4, they would spend three years learning the literature and learning the language of their enemies. Literature, it's kind of an innocuous word. Well, there's a lot there. It's like a drop-down menu on your computer. Like you hit that folder and like a bunch of stuff just drops before you. Literature means they're studying the story of Babylon. They're they're discovering the cultural heroes. They're discovering the George Washington's. Abe Lincoln's and all the famous people of Babylon, they are being indoctrinated. That is what is happening to them. And they're learning the language of their enemies. So it's 
speaking Hebrew less and less, and this Chaldean language more and more. They were even given new names. Did you notice that? Daniel is a name which means God or Yahweh is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel's prince. Bel is one of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god. Mishael, his name means who is as God or made in the image of God or like God was changed to Meshach, which may mean who is like Shaq, not the basketball player, somebody that these Babylonians believe was likened to Ishtar or, or Venus. And then the last guy, Azariah, his name means the Lord is my help. His name was changed to Abed-Nego, meaning servant of Nego, another Babylonian god. See, Babylon is intentionally trying to overwrite their identity as Hebrews. That's what Babylon is trying to do here. Think about it. In Babylon's view, Israel's dead. Judah's dead. They've been conquered. They've left the poorest of the poor in the land. They've taken the wealth of Israel. They've taken the, 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 resource, the people resources of Israel. They're incorporating them into their culture. There is no hope of a future as anything but slaves of Babylon or will give you an option. You can be servants. You can be citizens of Babylon. They're trying to erase their heritage. That's exactly what's going on here. If Babylon can erase their heritage, they can redirect their faith. And if they can redirect their faith, they can redirect what they put their hope in. And if they can redirect what they put their hope in, they can cause them to forsake their inheritance as Hebrews. And it's the same for us. If we give up our heritage as God's people, that will redirect our faith. It will redirect what you and I put our hope in. And it can cause us to forsake our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. Daniel and the three, they're, they're onto it though. Probably less due to their intellect and, and more due to God being present and working through the circumstances, the troubles, and the suffering of his people, of his sons. In the ancient Near East, in this time, conquest was regular. So these nations were brutal. Yes, they're also incredibly smart. So when they would come in and conquer a nation, they wouldn't just subjugate them as slaves and just do away with them. They would actually try to assimilate them into the culture, retrain them, re-educate them, and put them to good use. This would stave off a number of things, but one of the key things would be rebellions. They wouldn't have to worry about them getting together because within a generation or two, the Hebrews would become Babylonians and they would forget their heritage completely. And so they would give them honor and they would, they would offer them honor. They would offer them education. They'd offer them opportunity to serve. This came with having your life spared. It came with having your needs met. New skills could be acquired, new gifting affirmed. If you're in such a terrible situation, it could actually lead to a decent future for you. And I imagine the pressing circumstances, you've got families, you've got kids, you've got people around you, you've got the, the desire to, to continue living, just the will to live within you. I can imagine that this would be incredibly tempting. We see in the Old Testament, we see that Joseph served Pharaoh. He honored Pharaoh. He worked for the good of Egypt. Egypt would then take Joseph's descendants and, and enslave them for 400 years. But Egypt was not an ally nation of Israel at the time of Joseph. But yet, Joseph worked for the Pharaoh of Egypt. So too in Daniel, we'll see that Daniel and these friends, they serve Nebuchadnezzar and they work for the good of Babylon. It's shocking. 
They were in Babylon, and they were for Babylon's good, but ultimately they were not of Babylon. To be of something means to come from it. It means to embody its ideals and its values and its vision of what the good life is. We've seen this recently in our, in our news. Um, Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. Provorov, he's a good uh, illustration of this. He's a Russian hockey player who also happens to be a, a, a Christian, part of the Russian Orthodox Church. A few weeks ago, just a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, um, for Pride Night at their stadium, the Flyers did this pregame skate where the players would wear warm-up jerseys with, that were embroidered with rainbow-colored names and numbers on their backs in celebration of this Pride Night. And Ivan actually made a national news over this because he was the only player who chose to opt out of this skate. And as a follower of Jesus, he could not put on a jersey promoting something that God forbids. And so he respectfully declines, saying, quote, my desire is to stay true to myself and my religion. And he adds, quote, I respect everyone. I respect your choices, end quote. But he obviously had his own choices that he was asking them to respect, and people did not respect that. They wanted him to bow down at the altar of their ideology and to give up his integrity and his character, and he chose not to. And people called for him to be uh, fired from the team the whole bit. They called, the, called for his head. It seems that Provorov is, Provorov is in the U.S. and that he is for the U.S., but he's not of some of the ideals of our version of Babylon here. Provorov, Provorov persevered under pressure because he had, stayed, he, he had resolved to stay faithful before the pressure came. What does it look like for you to resolve to stay faithful to your God before the pressure even meets you? That's the only way in many cases that we endure is to resolve now to stay faithful before the pressure comes. To my knowledge, the way that Ivan handed himself was nothing short of exceptional. But he did not bow. And now the news cycle's over. I'm the only one talking about him, Apparently. Because it's moved on, and there's new outrage, and there's new this, and there's new that. There's new pressures. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, had to, I was tasked with writing a paper. I chose Daniel about a year ago for school, and, uh, and, and I was just so intrigued by the, the conduct of the exiles in Daniel. And so I just want to read something that I, that I wrote, and I wrote this about a year ago. Um, quote, it's thrilling to note that neither Daniel nor his three friends rejected the re-education and assimilation into Babylonian culture. Why is that thrilling? Because it's so weird to me. Like, I, it's not how I would, it's not my natural bent. They did not reject their re-education and their assimilation. In our day, it's considered patriotic to resist our own government's attempts to rule in a way that protects the public good. I know I'm like, poking you in the ribs on this. Yes, I'm thinking of the early days of masks and vaccines. We've had people leave our church here because we asked people to wear masks in the early days. In Coeur d'Alene, school board meetings have been interrupted and canceled with the police being called in order to protect the safety of those on the school boards. I have firsthand knowledge that some of the people standing and shouting at those meetings are former members of our church. 
However, we see in Daniel chapter 1 a kind of deferential respect that does not acquiesce fully to Babylon's norms, but presses back on cultural expectations, asking if there is another way, asking if there is a healthy way, a third way. I cannot help but see that Daniel's conduct in asking to be fed water and vegetables is a precursor, an example of the path the Apostle Peter urges his own followers to take. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. When we respond to our enemies like that, it clears our consciences. Daniel honored the Lord as holy, and his requests not to eat the king's food were made in a reasonable way, with gentleness and respect. There is a long history of God's exiled people conducting themselves in a way that not only safeguards their own consciences, but that commends them to the people holding functional power over them. Now, that is a very, very vulnerable place to be, a very vulnerable place to put ourselves And ultimately, we will not do that unless we believe, here's the last point, that God rewards our faithfulness. Sometimes in this life to come, but always, sometimes in this life rather, but always in the life to come. Because God is there, we as followers of Jesus, we can remain faithful, but we've got to resolve to remain faithful. Beastly kingdoms, they apply this pressure on us so that we'll give up our identity, we'll give up our integrity, worship at their altars. This hockey player, Ivan Provorov, was pressured to conform, to give up his convictions, and he, and he was blasted because he didn't. And his conduct was so Jesus-y, just the whole way through. He's not going to back down, no way. Like, I'm going to stand my ground, but I'm not going to, like, start calling you names and taking you out and fighting your fire with fire. The hard right does the exact same thing, though. Pressures us to give up the way of Jesus by demonizing our opponents, by ridiculing them, cutting them off, condemning them. Both the woke and the hard right are wrong. There is a better way. When we resist worldly powers, when we resist ideologies and care more about displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it may not always turn out for our earthly good. It may not always turn out. We may lose our jobs. We may lose our influence. We may lose our friends. We may lose. We may lose and look like losers to everyone looking in, but God will always be pleased with conduct from character modeled by our Christ. That is something that he will always be pleased with. Conduct that's modeled by the character of our Christ. When you look at in the New Testament, when you follow the way of Jesus, when you look at the way of his disciples, they would stand boldly and they would resist some of these powers over them. They didn't didn't cease to preach Jesus in the temple courts, though they were being told not to. But they endured the beatings and they did not ever slight their opponents. They continued to call them to repentance. And that to me is serious, serious strength. In Daniel 1, uh, he resolved himself not to defile himself with Babylon's ways. He asked... He was not disrespectful. He reasoned and he was shrewd, but he conducted himself with honor. 
And God gave him favor. And somehow, kids, the veggies, like, they worked. They did the trick. God gave Daniel favor in the sight of the little king. And for sure, God was pleased with Daniel as the great king. Being resolved to set apart Christ as holy will set us up to persevere. Looking to Daniel's example can help us with that. Can help us with that. To look to Daniel as a good example. When we're not resolved, we get pushed around. When we're resolved, we stand firm and steadfast, not giving up the hope that is in us. But only in trusting ourselves, only in trusting our hearts and our minds and our strength, our wills, our souls to Jesus, only that can make us holy. That is the only thing that will justify us before God, entrusting ourselves with the empty hands of faith to King Jesus. We have to give him our sin, confessing to him our falseness, our fear, which he will gladly receive. And only he can give us his righteousness, which we glad parted receive from him. We have to entrust ourselves to him, and it's hard work. If you don't know and trust Jesus of Nazareth, I pray that you do. I pray that you will. I don't know everybody's story in the room, but he is our only hope in life and death. We just heard some of that this morning. As a, as a serve team, as Matt read to us, this question number one out of this catechism, what is our only hope in death? It's that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul to Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope. He is our hope. Would you pray with me? Father, work, uh, work this in however you can, please. Where, uh, where we need to grow as your followers, grow us, please. Where we need courage as your people, encourage us, put courage into us, please. Where we're fighting to want to show up on behalf of our nation and to do her good, would you help us to know how to do that, both for her good but to refuse to give up our integrity, to refuse to give up the fruit of the Spirit in order to see our ends, our end goals met? Would we be a, a people who are willing to be faithful to you all the way to death? Would you give us favor with our neighbors? Would you give us favor with the powers that be over us? Would you... Fill us with wisdom to know how to live. The days are evil. Would you empower your people? Would you cause us to be people of prayer who humble ourselves before you, looking to you for direction and for wisdom and discernment before we look to the internet and to our thought leaders? Would you reform our ways? Would you cause us to be a people of faith who entrust ourselves to you, Jesus, who is on the throne? You are on the throne in Daniel's day. You are on the throne in ours. And there will never be a day that you do not rule. And we thank you for that kind of security. Help us endure. Help us honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.